0: Discipleship comes with stewardship. So, with that, if you're able, uh, just stand while for the reading, and then we'll pray, and we'll go to the the word together. Uh, this parable is um, is one of those parables. If you if you uh, if you read it with a quick surface reading, it's a struggle to understand what is being said, which is why we're here and we best we can we open the word and we guide and we teach our way through it so this is a bit of a challenging uh, parable but stay tuned and uh, and God will will help us as we go okay so I'm going to read part of it from uh, chapter 16 verse 9 Jesus speaking and he says I say to you make friends for yourselves by worldly wealth that when you fail or it could be when you die they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the worldly wealth, who will commit to you trust of the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So, Father, we pray you would help us and guide us, lead us through this passage, speak to our hearts, and and illuminate and give us understanding and faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's be seated together. So with discipleship comes stewardship. Uh, We are called upon to be stewards of our time, of our relationships, of our very lives, of our spiritual gifts, of our possessions, and of course of our money also. And of course, money and possessions is not the issue but it's the attitude that a person has towards it. I'll read from you the text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and ruin. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And we will see later in this passage that Jesus is addressing the Pharisees head on, and it says in verse 14, Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, and that was the issue that Paul just addressed in in that letter to Timothy, that the love of money, not money itself, but the unhealthy love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And the Pharisees had this problem. When they heard these things, they derided him after he spoke about this parable. So let's jump to our text here in In chapter 16, and you'll notice, first of all, he's speaking to his disciples, and later in the passage, he is addressing the Pharisees. And he starts with a parable. There is a certain rich man who had a steward or a manager. It was not uncommon that a wealthy landowner would have someone who would be like a manager or a steward over his affairs, over his assets and his wealth, his possessions, his bills, etc. He was responsible He was responsible for the wealth and the assets and he was accountable to his master. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. Now, was the accusation true? Well, later in the parable, Jesus calls him the unjust steward. And the word unjust means to be morally wrong in character or actions. So the steward was was uh, wasting, and it's the same word, by the way, back in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, it's to be, it's to be uh, wasteful or extravagant. He was, he was um, unsparingly using his master's wealth, and that accusation came against him. It seems perhaps he was a bit of a man of the world, maybe doing some dodgy deals, wanting to benefit himself from his, his position, um, you know hey, I've got 10 barrels of olive oil. Just fell off the back of a cart over there. It's the best quality. you know. And he'd be selling and wheeling and dealing and, and putting up the price a little bit and making his own profit in the mix. So the master calls his steward and he says, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be a steward. You're done. It's over. I trusted you, you were were, uh, uh, given the responsibilities and you have abused that position and it's over. So the steward says to himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig and I am ashamed to beg. Oh boy, what shall I do? What have I done? And now what shall I do? I'm going to lose my job. Oh, gosh. And he's stroking his beard. He's thinking. He's wondering, oh, my gosh, what have I done? I've blown it. I had it so good. I had such a great position. And now I'm going to lose my job. And he's pacing and he's thinking and he's trying to come up with a scheme of how he can save his skin, how he can set himself up from this situation. He says, I'm too weak to dig. I'm too proud to beg. All of these people have seen me as that steward in my position. I can't beg. Oh, what am I going to do? And after some thought, he says, "Okay, I've resolved what to do." And the word there means I have absolutely no light bulb moment. I am—it's clear. I've—I I've, have a plan, and I'm going to. This is what I'm going to do. When I am put out of the stewardship, when I'm when, I'm take, when this position is taken away, I know what I'm going to do, that they may receive me into their houses. So what is he saying? He's saying, while I have the opportunity, right before I'm going to lose this job, I'm going to, to work a little bit to set myself up so afterwards they, and he's speaking about the debtors, of his master, those who owe his debtors money, I'm going to do some deals so that my master's debtors will receive me into their houses. I need to make some friends here to set myself up. So verse 5, he calls every one of his master's debtors to him and says to the first, how much do you owe my master? And it seems that there are more debtors, but Jesus gives us just two examples. And he said, a hundred measures of oil so he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. You know, shh, quick, hey, quick, just sign here. Let's get this deal done quickly. Shh, you know, he's, so he's having him sign quickly. He's reducing the cost. Sign it quickly. Now, in, in the Jewish practices, they did not add interest, per se but they would jack up the prices accordingly, and it would be different interest or different additional prices depending on what they were selling. And typically, the manager, the steward, would add to take his own cut from it like the tax collectors did. Olive oil might have been a 100% markup. So here, he halves the price. In other words, the, the interest or the additional fee, may be his own money as well, also he cut that down to make a quick sale to get the money back in the pot. Then he says to another, how much do you owe? And he says, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So he gives him a 20% cut. The guy's thinking, wow, what a, what a good deal. Have you heard about this? What a great deal. What a good good man this is to give me such a a great deal on my my bill and on the the wheat. And he's doing this, and he's finding favor in these debtors. He's making friends, if you will. And the master finds out, and this is where the parable throws us a bit of a curveball. Because what would you expect the master to say when he finds out? Wouldn't be happy, right? But look what he says. It says, so the master commended The unjust steward. He commended him. He praised him. Now, let's take note. This isn't God commending the unjust steward. This isn't Jesus commending the unjust steward. This is the master in the made-up story, the parable, who is commending the unjust steward. And notice, what is he commending him for? Not for his dishonesty, not for any corruption, not for the unjust dealings, but it says he commended him because he was shrewd, because he had acted wisely in some way in that situation. It would be like the police catching a criminal, and they say, oh, the way they did that bank heist, well, they they were really smart criminals. Now, does that mean they're condoning the fact that they robbed the bank? Obviously not they're still going to jail they broke the law they are bad men but they were wise in the way that they uh, conducted themselves in that in that robbery or whatever so the master's saying listen i get it i see what you did you, you i get it you were shrewd there And what what the master is noticing is that while you had the opportunity, before you headed out the door, while you still had the opportunity, you used it to secure your future. And then Jesus uh, adds this on on this verse. He says, For the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Note, the sons of this world in their generation, in their time, in their period, in their life, right now on the earth, they were wise. They are wise. Not for eternity. They're not, it doesn't say that, that they are the sons of this world are, are wise for eternity, but in their generation now, they work and they invest and they take opportunities to secure their future. Now, now, Jesus is going to make a, a, a comparison here. This is an argument often used in the, in the scriptures, an a fortiori argument. It's a comparative argument. It's a, if this is true, then how much more is this true? So we see this, for example, in a later parable in, on the unjust judge in Luke 18. Remember, there is an unjust judge. He has no regard for God or men. And there is, a, there is a poor woman. She's waiting for him to hear her case, and he doesn't have time. And she continually pesters him, and finally he hears her case. And Jesus says, effectively, how much more will a compa- your compassionate God hear his children praying? Right? So there's a comparison with an unjust judge, but the principle is to continue in, in prayer. It's a how much more principle. So the point of the parable that Jesus is making is not to be dishonest like the unjust steward, but to be wise like him, to be shrewd and realize that now you have the opportunity to make an investment for the future taking an advantage of an opportunity now while you can to set up for tomorrow. And for Christians, how much more is this related to eternity? So one one writer puts it like this. Here's the comparison. If the unjust steward is commended by his earthly master for the wisdom in providing for his future, using what was committed to him in terms of earthly commodities and money and situations, how much more, here it is, how much more will a righteous servant be commended by God for being a good steward of all that is committed to him? So not only in the world and this generation, but we have a heart and a mind and a look uh, to eternity. This would be wisdom. So in Ephesians 5.15, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. So we are called upon as Christians, as disciples, in our stewardship, to redeem the time, to not walk as fools, but to walk carefully in wisdom with an eternal perspective. For 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We look on that which is not that which is seen but that which is unseen for that which is seen is temporal but that which is unseen is eternal there's another parallel passage in mark 16 where jesus says do not lay lay up or store up for yourselves treasures on earth the word there is a mass or heap or reserve or lay up for yourselves do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth now again that doesn't mean it's wrong to have possessions and money and house and a bank account and saving and an ISA, or whatever, that's not the point. But when you're at a funeral, and he's too, oh, gosh, yes, I know. Oh, he was wealthy. He was so, yeah, he was, he was loaded, that guy, really? How much did he leave behind? All of it. All of it. And now that money is going to be spent by someone else. You never see a removal van following a hearse. Again, First Timothy six: "You brought nothing into this world, and it is certain: You take nothing material, nothing temporal, with you." Notice, it says here, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal." where moths destroy and you got a beautiful clothes in the cupboard, the walk-in closet, silk garments and beautiful suits and top brand names. You're freaking, you want to see? Come on, come on in, let me see, check this out, wow. Open it up, and moths fly out and they're just hanging off the hangers in holes, oh my gosh. Or a beautiful car in the garage and it's stored. Oh, this, wow, classic. Oh, beautiful. And it's there for a few years. And the rust does corrupt. It is temporal. Or the, you know, the heirlooms and the jewelry and the things. And we have it. And then I come back from holiday. (gasps) It's all gone. The thief came in and stole it. But... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So now Jesus gives the application from the parable. Let's go back to Luke 16. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by worldly wealth, and your translation might be slightly different there, that when you... Die, and again, your translation may say when it fails, and it could be when your money fails or when you die, but you get the point that they may receive you into an everlasting home. And this is a bit tricky, this verse. Are you with me? Nudge your neighbor, shake yourself. Here we go, verse 9 that they may receive you into an everlasting home. Well, there's certainly an echo or a play on words here from earlier in the parable, right? That the debtors would receive him into their homes, that he would be welcome because of, of how he conducted himself with those debtors. And that they here, again, playing off the language of that parable, he's saying, make friends now who will receive you into heaven. Now, what does that mean? Perhaps it means that investments we have made as believers by faith, supporting the work of God or acts of kindness, honoring God or whatever it might be, things that have happened to affect people's uh, lives and even bring them to salvation, perhaps there is a welcoming in heaven. I don't know. You can make your own decision upon that. But it says... They receive you into an everlasting home. What's clear is that there is a comparison between temporal earthly riches on earth and then eternal riches or rewards in heaven. God gets the glory, but he could could and he does use us in our stewardship also as those who pray, as those who go, as those who give. Give. Now I have the opportunity of faith. Then it's gone. But now in my stewardship, I have the opportunity to live by faith. Philippians 4, remember Paul is writing to the Philippians and he thanks them and commends them that they had supported him. He says, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. He says in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you send aid once and again for my necessities. And notice this, Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Have you ever heard that before? That's an interesting verse and principle, isn't it? Paul says, listen, you are supporting me in the needs in the ministry and and thank you. And not that I seek the gift, but that there would be fruit that abounds to your account. And he goes on to say, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. And then he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. I remember our missions experience. I remember living in the Czech Republic when I was a young, lonely, single missionary. And then later together in Budapest and Bulgaria and Azerbaijan and these places. And I remember... We had to raise our own support. I remember people supporting us. I remember this this American family. I only met them once, and I think they supported me for 20 years, something like $20 a month, just a little bit. But I remember on the mission field when we were scrummaging for coins behind the car seat to put petrol in the car. I remember when that $20 would come in. It made a difference. And I believed and they believed that our God shall supply your need. Think of this building, this PEFC building that we are sitting in today and how it is used effectively to reach people. And there are people who prayed, people who gave. There were fundraisers. There were people who donated. Some of those people are not with us anymore. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. And some are still here in this building. It took faith and sacrifice for that to happen. We think of the orphanage in India, the children's home in India, and the ministry to the leper colony and the 18 churches that we are connected to and a part of. It's amazing. It's a work of God on the earth that has an eternal fruit. And when you go to the children's home, and I had this struck me so clearly one time I was there, and and I had to sit down and explain it to Tyrone because he didn't get it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) We were on the chip, and I remember thinking, "Wow, you can count the bricks, you can count the pounds, you can you can number and measure those things, but there is a part of it which is immeasurable, that is eternal." And it's amazing, I give one pound for one brick and we donate, and there's a building, but there is something that is immeasurable about it. It goes beyond that, and it is also eternal. I was considering the Baptist missionaries of the 1900s that went to Odisha. And uh, for, I think, three or four generations they were there, up in the mountains of this Hindu state, And many of these villages up in the mountains are now Christian villages. And they need some refreshing and teaching, etc. But there is incredible liberty they have as Christians in Christian villages because of those Baptist missionaries. And one time we were there, we went to find, we heard that there was a graveyard in Paralakamundi, where some of those missionaries gave their life and they died and they were buried in Paralakamundi. And we're like, we, can we go to the graveyard? And we went there and I remember, we had, okay, sh-, I had to climb over the wall and it was all overgrown and no one was, I had to pull back the branches from this graveyard and there were the names and the dates of some of those missionaries who went and they gave. I think they were storing up treasures in heaven in that ministry and in that, in that uh, sacrifice, there's a temporal and internal perspective that we can have in life and we can make eternal investments. Now, there's a balance to this. You know, some people always hear it and they go way, way off this way. Or, you know, it doesn't mean I have to get up and go and give everything I have away, <laughs> right? That's not balanced. The scriptures balance that also, that God provides, that God may give you. God answers prayers. But I do want to be a steward, and I want to pray and ask God, and may he lead us. That may be in what I give. It may be in how I pray. It may be in how I minister. It may be in what I do. It may be in how I live my life. But let us desire to be good stewards For the Christian, not only do we live for the present, and of course we live practically and fully on the earth in our generation also, but the wise man sees a stewardship that also touches eternity. Now remember, this parable is particularly hitting home with the Pharisees because they were lovers of money. It spells it out in verse 14 for us. But this should not characterize the disciples, that they would not be glued to their possessions, but pilgrims passing through, stewards of what has been given to us. Now, Jesus draws another lesson from the parable in verse 10. He says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. This is echoed in Matthew 25, where, where in that parable, the master says, well, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over few. You shall be in charge of many. In other words, trustworthiness or stewardship, it doesn't matter how much you have. You say, Oh, if I had more money, I would give. Well, that, it's not about the amount. It's that I'm faithful in the little things that I'm a steward over what I have. He says, verse 11, Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the worldly wealth, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And again, these true riches, looking to those things of eternal value in life, that I am a faithful (coughs) steward now. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? He drives the point home further with this capstone verse. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now again, here is the balance. As a believer, you can have God and you can have money, but you cannot serve both first. One of them will be second place. And that goes to anything in life. This is why idolatry is such an abomination, because idolatry is not a little image carved out of stone. It's anything in the 21st century that takes first place between the believer's life and God. So that's why you can have them, but you can only have one that you serve first. That's the point he's making. And then it gets to verse 14, where it says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money... Heard all these things, and they derided him. The Greek word is they looked down the nose, they sneered at him. There was contempt and mockery. (laughs) What are you talking about? Our position, our power, this is what it's all about. They had an issue with it. So let's remember that, that important context. And he responds to them in their contempt. And he says, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Now, again, Jesus is addressing this double standard, this hypocrisy. What was on the outward and the inward were very different. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. They were highly esteeming their position and money and wealth, but they were disregarding God's word. So he goes on to say about God's word. He says, the law and the prophets were until John, and since that time... The kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. We're almost done, so don't lose focus. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. So he's saying here, listen, Pharisees, you live outwardly a certain way And you exploit people, and you use your position for your benefits, and you really disregard the law and the word. And maybe people don't recognize that, but I see it. You are hypocrites, and God knows, and I am against you for that, is basically what he's saying. And the prophets have spoken. And they spoke all the way to John, and John also preaching that the, the kingdom is here, the Messiah is here, here are the prophecies, here is the word, and you have disregarded it, and here I am face to face with you. And you do not receive me, you do not accept me. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one tittle of the Lord to fail. In other words, this word is the ultimate final response, authority In heaven and earth, the truth is the Pharisees had disregarded what God had said through the prophets. It's ironic because they had professed to honor and obey it, but they added laws, they changed the 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 laws, they they manipulated it again to exploit people, to bring burdens on people, and for their own uh, um, benefits. And they would even justify their actions with the Bible. And listen to that. They were teachers of the Bible, and they would use the Bible to justify their actions. Jesus now, in closing, Jesus now gives one example, one area and one example of how they did that, how that they would use the Bible and change the Bible for their own benefit. So in that context, he, as he's rebuking the Pharisees, he says this. This example is about divorce. Now, what the Pharisees did is they permitted a man to divorce and remarry again. If they just desired, uh, you know what, she drives me crazy. You know, every day, nag, no, gosh, but you know what, I've met this other lady. She's so sweet. She's, She's beautiful and just, I I thought, that's okay, you get a divorce and you can remarry her. The Pharisees allowed men to do that. Interestingly, they didn't allow women to do that, but they allowed men to do that. They would use the Bible to justify it, and in doing so, they were dishonoring God and his word. So in that context, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her is, who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. And again, in that principle of this, this twisting of this principle, and of course in Matthew's Gospel and other places, it gives the biblical um, exceptions f- for divorce, etc. But here Jesus is addressing the Pharisees' tendency to use the Bible, manipulate the Bible for their own benefits, and he addresses it full head on. He calls them hypocrites. There was no faith, humility, honesty, transparency before the word of God, but they were caught up in this religious system that they had exploited and even designed for their own benefits. And by the way, this sets us up for the teaching on Lazarus and the rich man to come in this same parable. So in closing, let us be good stewards, whatever that means for us. Let us look to him, ask for guidance, uh, be prayerful, be available to him. Let us honor his word as best we can. We don't always hit the target and we fail and there is grace for us. But let's live unto the Lord. Because with discipleship comes stewardship. So Father, we pray this morning. We thank you for guiding us through this challenging passage and parable, but we 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 want to uh, we want to hear all of the word of God. We want to expose our hearts and lives to every word, and we pray that by your Spirit you would guide us, you would speak to us, you would lead us, you would help us in our frailty the challenges in our, in our own hearts. We pray you'd strengthen us and guide us, give us faith and liberty. Lord, we don't want to be outwardly religious people, but we want to always walk before you in our hearts, in our lives. That we, would, that, that we would honor you as our master, as our Lord first. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the simplicity of salvation. Perhaps there is someone here today, and I'm sorry, I I can never pass these moments by without extending at least an opportunity for someone who is not a Christian, maybe listening online or, or with us today. You're not sure of your salvation, or in this moment, in your heart, in the privacy of your heart in faith, look to God and say, oh God, please save me today. I put my faith in Jesus and who he is and all that he did for me on the cross. I ask you, Jesus, to be my savior today. Save me by grace through faith and lead me in in a walk with you, I pray. We ask for all of these things to be used and blessed to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.